God, I thank you for today. I thank you, Lord, um, Father, that as your word says, your mercies are new every morning. I thank you, God, that um, that you are sovereign. Um, you are on your throne. Father, no matter what we see going on around us in this world, Father, um, we know that it doesn't um, doesn't phase you. Father, that um, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, I thank you that um, that you love us and that you care for us and you know each and every part of us intimately. God, and we worship you and we praise you. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be able to focus as we enter into this time with you. And uh, Father, that you would, um, Father, as we honor you, Father, that we would just receive whatever it is that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, if you've been hearing the same old voice of the same old lies, if you're trying to feel the same old holes inside, there's a better life.
told you you're not good enough When he told you you're not right When he told you you're not strong enough To put up a good fight When he told you you're not worthy When he told you you're not loved When he told you you're not beautiful You'll never be enough
digging my own grave I know where to turn, bridges burn, throw my life away I was a rebel running until I found my end Right at the place I heard your grace at the start for this day, my God, and Father, we thank you that we who are in Christ have been changed, that we have been born again of a new nature. Father, we're no longer enslaved to sin. Father, we are now slaves to righteousness. For your name's sake, my God. Father, we lift up the church in Texas this morning, my God, as they're gathering this morning to worship you. Father, as a community, 
And as the survivors from this congregation gather this morning, we pray, O oh God, for their protection. We pray, O oh God, that you would strengthen them, Lord. We pray, O oh God, that they would continue to be a witness of your kingdom, of your love, of your grace, and of your comfort. We pray, O oh God, for the family members of the young man who committed such a heinous crime and killed all these people. Father, we pray for his family this morning, God. Father, that if they do not know you, that, Father, they would come to know you. God, that they would come to a place, Father, that they would not be defined by this young man's actions. But God, that even in the middle of their grief, Lord, that you would meet them there. Father, we pray for the church throughout this earth, God, that she would be strengthened, Lord. God, that she would remember her identity is in Christ and in Christ alone. That you would, Father, increase her faith and her boldness and her witness. We thank you, God, that you've called us to yourself and that the gates of hell shall not prevail yes. against your church. So as we open up your word today, my God, I pray, Father, that we would be attentive. Father, that we would be encouraged. God, that we would allow conviction. The Holy Spirit reveals the areas of our lives, O oh God, that need to be surrendered unto you. We thank you, Father, for freedom. Your word says, God, that it's the truth that sets us free. So may your truth impact our lives this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to kind of go off from our regular study this morning. And we're actually going to go to Romans chapter 7 is where we're starting. We've got a few scriptures, some of them um, I'm sure we have gone through before. But it's been an interesting week. As I have been counseling people and encouraging people and encouraging myself um, and just being out and about amongst a lot of people um, when I was at Universal Studios on Friday Islands of Adventure just a lot of people you know and when you see the vast numbers of people and the need that's out there um, when we hear these tragic events take place you know rather it's in Texas or anywhere else when we see that and hear of a lot of different things going on in Christians' lives and the church lives and congregations, it can seem at times, at least for me, overwhelming. But it's in those times that I, as we should, draw close to Christ. And he reminds us of who he is and who we are in him. And in that, 
he also reminds us that this Christian life cannot be lived out of our flesh. We've heard over and over here, and it's good to be reminded again, that if we're not walking according to the Spirit, we are living, gratifying the flesh. We will only go back to what we know. The old man, the old woman, the old desires. And I always say we shouldn't be surprised when it happens, because that's all we know. When we take our eyes off of Christ, when we forget of all of his goodness and of his love, when we choose to go our way, that's the only way to go back to. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. But I want to encourage us this day. Because as I've been praying throughout this week, and kind of just meditating on his truth and on his word, And I think about the Holy Spirit and how he's been given to us. Do we really seek his guidance? Do we really seek not to live a life that grieves the Holy Spirit? Do we really understand the life in which we're called to live now? Again, not on our own strength. Even Paul says to the church, why are you attempting to live it out in the flesh what you received in the spirit you can't but we also understand that the word of god says that the spirit and the flesh they war inside of us but greater is he that is in us and he that is in this world the question before us today is are we victorious are we living that victorious christian life not based on a a life with no problems or no issues, that doesn't mark a victorious life. What marks a victorious life is how you respond and how you continue to respond when the storms of life blow up against you, when circumstances and, and your foundation seems to, to crumble. Are you reminded of the fact that you are now a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken? Do you cling to the truth of Christ? Do you allow the Holy Spirit to be your comforter, to be your guide, to be your teacher? What do you do when the areas of your life are revealed because of the circumstances that are around you? Your heart is exposed and the sin is there. Are you repentive? Do you say, God, thank you for bringing this about to reveal what's still within me that needs to be surrendered to you? The Holy Spirit. He's been given to us. And I love the fact that he will not lead us astray. He will not lead us astray. The Holy Spirit is not going to teach us something that Jesus himself didn't teach. The Holy Spirit comes to confirm what the word has already been established. Confirm who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit. We live in a fallen world. We know this. We know that the temporalness of life will always be screaming in our face. But as believers, are we looking heavenward? Are we focusing and fixing our eyes on Jesus? And in doing so, do we understand the fact that while we are still here, while there's breath in our body, we are to be about our Father's business? We talk a lot about it here. 
or at least I talk a lot about it here, about advancing his kingdom, about being effective harvesters, upholding truth, first to yourself and then to others, living a life that is revealing Christ and what he has done in and through your life because we are being changed, we are being transformed day in and day out, maturing and growing in Christ. The fullness of joy. When we think of his grace, the power to transform us, not the license to sin. Like there is victory in Christ. And so as we look at Romans 7, and we're going to start at verse 14. Paul writes, so the trouble is not with the law. For it is spiritual and, in, and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. Now, further up, he's talking about how God's law reveals our sin. The reason why God gave the law was to reveal the sin in our lives, our condition. And our need for a Savior. God knew that mankind could not keep the law, the, the Ten Commandments. And when man tries to, and strives in himself to try to keep it, he will always fail. It's funny, in chapter 6 of Romans, he talks about this, the power of sin is broken. And yet here we find himself in chapter 7 saying to himself or writing to the church the trouble is with me for I am all too human a slave to sin but he doesn't stop there and thank God he did, didn't just stop there he's, he's encouraging the fact and to the church of those who are struggling with sin And far too many times, this portion of Scripture has been used to justify your struggling. To justify and giving yourself the right. Well, and you hear a lot of people say, well, Paul struggled. We make excuses for our struggling. And if you've been around me, I tell you, I don't make light of people struggling with sin in their lives. But the reason why they're struggling is that they're still enjoying it. The reason why they keep getting themselves to it is because they still desire it. And it is tormenting to live a double life. To have one foot in and one foot out. It's tormenting. Oh, it is. It is a struggle to try to maintain holiness and righteousness in front of others, but inwardly knowing that you're just full of darkness. Oh, it is a struggle. But struggling is not the life of a believer. And you say, how is that? Well, listen here further. I don't really understand myself, he writes. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. 
So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Tormenting. I want to do right, but I don't. It goes on and on. I do what I hate. I really don't want to, but I do. I know that when this is working in me, I see that the law is good because the law is revealing to me this condition, this sinful nature that is in control of me. He says, I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. Did you hear that? I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. I want you to highlight that. I want you to circle that. I want you to remember that verse. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. The Word of God says, how does He transform us? By changing the way we think. There is a war going on. And he goes on, this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And a lot of times that's where we stop. A lot of times, even when it's preached, that's where we stop. And we say the struggle is real. We're just going to struggle. We're just human. We're just always going to continue to sin. And we give more credit to the power of sin than the power of God. Because Paul doesn't stop there and leave it of a poor, miserable, wretched man that I am. No, these are questions he's asking. These are questions that he's, he's encouraging the church to give thought to. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Then he answers it. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. 
So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, listen to this, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So in and of myself, if I'm just going to live for myself, if I'm still going to give in to my desires, if I'm still going to allow the war to be raged in my mind, waged in my mind, then all I'm going to do is give thought to my struggle. If I'm going to give, give thought to my sin nature, then that's how I'm going to live. But when I realize that as a Christian, that I have been empowered, that my hope and my answer is in Jesus Christ alone, not in of myself. In of myself, I'm just a slave to sin, that old nature, that old way of living. Now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has free you from the power of sin that leads to death. You've been set free. And this freedom is what we're maturing in. This freedom is what we're to be growing in. This freedom in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to live differently now. To live differently now. Paul is not schizophrenic. Paul is not pretending to be free. Paul's a freed man. Those in the church who have been born again are freed people. He's exposing the struggle with sin. And what keeps you enslaved to that struggle is you. Is you. I, he says in verse 25, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. But if I am in Christ, I no longer have to be condemned. I belong to Christ. So I recognize that me being Christ-like, belonging to Christ, being engrafted into his kingdom being marked and sealed by the Holy Spirit, I now have him, the power of the life-giving spirit, who has freed me from the power of sin that leads to death. Amen. Oh, the struggle is real, but the struggle is your doing. It's not a lack of what Christ hasn't done. Remember on the cross, Jesus says it is finished. And I know myself, I know there's others who have stated, well, if God would only take it away, if God will only do this, if God would only do that, no, God has already done all that he's going to do through his son Jesus. You have to choose to lay it down. You have to choose to believe. You have to get up from your enslavement of sin and walk out of the jail cell, of the prison of it. 
You drop the chains. I love that line in that one song. I will drop my chains. It's us. Christ has done all he is going to do. His freedom is there. It's up to us to walk in the fullness of Christ. To walk in the freedom of Christ. We go so far, and yet life trips us up, and we get caught up in the struggle again. But you all, that is not the life that Christ has purposed for us. Because if all we'll do, if all we are doing is giving thought to the struggle, if all we are doing is giving thought to how hard life is, we will not be effective as laborers in his kingdom. The loss, the world, will look at us no different. How are you different than the others who are struggling with their sinful nature? Enslaved to it. We're to be different. And if we're not, if there's not hope, if there's not truth, if all we did is we stopped at where he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free? And he doesn't answer that question, then what hope would we have? But we know, if you're sitting here today as a believer, we know the hope in which we have. Our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. He is the one who has set us free. He is the one who empowers us through his Holy Spirit. He knows our condition. He knows our condition. That's why there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, who comes to Christ, who accepts him, who receives from him. There's no condemnation. You get caught up in your struggle. You get caught up in sin. You are to flee from it and you are to run to Him again. Your struggle, your sin should not be defining you. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. Do you know how many Christians are sitting today Enslaved to sin, continuing <laughs> to be enslaved by their own doing. And they're going to have to give an account to that by their own doing. We, we try to justify our struggles, we try to justify why we live apart of, from Christ. And sometimes I hesitate to even say Christians. Because as Christians, the struggle doesn't define us. Christ defines us. I mean, we're going to read Scripture again today. But truly, I pray, open up our eyes. Even for ourselves and as we minister to others. Like either Christ is victorious and he's accomplished all that he has said he has done or he is a liar. 
our Christian life should not make him out to be a liar. Our Christian life is to reveal him to others. So people who are gathering in churches today, coming in for fellowship, but yet still living a life bound by sin, they don't understand the fullness of truth. They are trapped in that struggle that Paul has described here. They don't understand the truth that the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. In verse 25. He goes on, chapter 8, verse 3. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of our weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end, listen to this, to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. If you don't get it, it looks like Paul's crazy. He's at first telling us the struggle is real. I want to do, but I don't. I hate it, but I do it. And we all have been there. But he answers the question, who will save us from this? It's found in Christ Jesus. That's why there's no condemnation. This is a message of encouragement. He's trying to encourage the church. They were so caught up in the law and striving to do right, striving to live right in their own flesh. If I just do this, if I just do that, if I just do this, I just do that. And we make it about us. And all along, God is saying, no, 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 no. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Now, as a Christian, we do aim to live a life that pleases Christ. But we recognize as Christians, it's not about doing it in the flesh. It's about walking in the Spirit. It's about allowing the Spirit to guide our lives. We're not to live lives that grieve the Holy Spirit. But listen to what he says here. And he goes right in. He's transitioning now. And he's bringing the hope of the freedom that is in Christ Freedom from the struggle. So God did what the law could not do. The law could not save man. Only, the law could only expose to man their need for God. And as long as men tried to keep the law, they're blinded by their need for God. Hmm. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son, his own son, in a body like these bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that just the, the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. We no longer follow our sinful nature but instead, follow the Spirit. This nature that he was describing just above, 
who had all this power to defeat us, he now is saying, as he's answered the question, it's in Christ and in Christ alone that we have the freedom because we're born again now of a different nature. He says in verse 4, He did this so that the just requirement of the law will be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Freedom that is in Christ. The freedom from the struggle. What's our excuse? For still going the ways of the flesh. Again, if our message isn't the freedom that is found in Christ, then what message do we have? How are we making a mockery of all that he came to do? Because he came to fulfill the law. Like God knew our condition. And all along, Jesus, the cross, was purposed. Because all along, as you've heard me teach, and as you open up the word and you see for yourself from Genesis to Revelation, God is looking for a people that he can call his own and that in return they will call him their God. From beginning to end, he will have a people that belong to him. Do you belong to God? Not just because you come to church, not because you prayed a little prayer, not because you opened up your Bible. But are you led by His Spirit? Are you led by His Spirit? That's the mark of a believer. One who was led by God's Spirit. Verse 5, he goes on here now. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Which only makes sense because remember earlier he says up here. Let me find it. In verse 22 of chapter 7. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. See, when we're just thinking about the struggle, when we're just thinking about the desires, it dominates us. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled, I love that picture, by the Holy Spirit think about the things that pleases the Spirit. So let's just get real here. Are you going through your life, are you going through your days giving thought about pleasing the Holy Spirit? You're not to be living a life that grieves him. You are to be living a life that's pleasing to him. And if you're not, then I just want to challenge us this morning. Why aren't you? Why aren't you? Not making excuses. Well, if this was right in my life, and that was right in my life, and this was right in my life, oh, I would be sold out for God. That's you again. No, Jesus has already done all he's going to do. 
the freedom is available to you. You're either choosing to be mindful that you are whole now, that there's nothing missing, there's nothing broken, or you're choosing to abide in the brokenness of your sinful nature. I do these things, I react this way because of what I feel inside. And you make rights, you give yourself rights to live out of control, out of controlled lives. But I love Jesus. Do you see what's that waging war against the mind of mankind? There's work to be done. The world is growing darker. We're to be growing brighter. We're not to look just like them. What hope do we have if we're presenting what they already see within themselves in us? We're to be different. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that pleases the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and guess what? It never will. That is why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Can never please God. And I love what he says here in verse 9. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. At least he's speaking to the church. As the body of Christ, as a Christian, you are not controlled by the sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Oh, there's people who think they belong sitting among the church. But they don't belong. And it's not that God is holding them at bay. No, they're the one with the stiff arm against God. They're the ones that just see their struggle and their sin and my poor life. And they strive to do good. They want to do good. They're the people. They live, as Paul described, this tormented mind. But oh, the freedom that comes in Christ. When you are set free, again, doesn't mean you don't sin. Doesn't mean you're not perfect. Means you're perfect. No, but it's a whole different way of looking at life now, because you've been liberated. You've been set free from the old man, from the old woman. And when you do sin, as a Christian, it doesn't have dominion over you, like is described here. No, you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit because remember how you should be living it is to please the Spirit. So when the Spirit brings conviction, you go, oh, and you grieve. I mean, you really like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. It's not where I belong. This is who I am. There's no condemnation in me. I'm in Christ Jesus now. Oh, Father, forgive me. And you get up and you move forward. And if you offended people, you restore, you restore yourself to them. Ask for forgiveness. You pick up and you keep maturing. You keep going. 
That's the freedom that you have in Christ. He doesn't beat you down. No, He reminds you of who He is. This can only be done through me. So abide in me. Remain in me. And listen to what He says here. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the, do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, listen to this, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. If you're a believer, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, if you saw your need for a Savior, if you've confessed Him, if you're learning to live, to live a life that's pleasing to the Holy Spirit, listen to this. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that power of the resurrection is inside you. And if it's inside us, then why are we living the way we're living? If we're still living a life enslaved to the sinful nature. We shouldn't be. We're Christians. At least it's what we've all have professed here in this room. We're Christians. We believe in Jesus. And that same spirit that raised him from the dead is in you. Do you think upon that? When the storms of life slam up against you. Do you recognize that? If you have active sin in your life, if you're still living a life enslaved to sin, how could you? When truth has been presented to you time and time and time and time again. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is within you. It's the spirit of life. Live. Live each and every single day embracing life. Embracing life, no matter what your, no matter what the circumstances are, rather it's finances, relational, health, you know, whatever it may be. Maybe the past screaming at you. Like if you get up every single day, you know, I've always told you, the crazy thing is, is that the uh, the other religions that are out there. Their foundational teachings, the majority of them, are biblical. The only thing they're missing is the truth, Jesus. They're not following Jesus. 
but yet they will follow his principles. Yet they will follow the principles of his kingdom, but they will not respect or turn to the king. And a lot of them live a lot more carefree lives than Christians. That's ridiculous. We not only have the principles of the kingdom, we're supposed to be submitted to the king. Revealing him. We're supposed to be the ones that should be encouraging others to live and not die. To think upon good things. I mean, listen to what he's saying here. He goes on and says in verse 12, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Remember that sinful nature is still within. But you now have no obligation. You say no. It's a choice. That's the crazy thing. We talked about this here before. It is a choice. It's your choice. No one is forcing you. No matter how ugly they are acting in front of you and pressing every single button within you, it's you who chooses. It's you who chooses. Because the sinful nature is urging, is provoking you. But you have no obligation. Don't give in to it. Don't give in to it. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through, and I love this, underline, circle, circle that. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. There's that hope. Who will save us? It is only in Christ Jesus. Who frees us from the struggle? Who frees us from this tormented mind? Who frees us from these urges? Jesus. If through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Why do you think the Bible says, throw off the sin that so easily entangles you? Because it's already been taken care of. Because by the Spirit's power, you can throw it off. Not by yours. Not by man's steps. But by Christ and Christ alone. You put to death, through the Spirit's power, that same power that raised Jesus from the death, from death is inside you. And if you tap into that, and if you say, I'm living a life that wants to please the Holy Spirit, I'm going to make choices today that will please my king. You will put to death the urges, the sinful nature. And do you realize how people will see our lives? Like there's something different about you. Why do you think in that one portion of scripture where it says, if, if you were a thief, quit stealing? Work hard now, and then not only work hard, give away. Give to the poor. If you have a dirty mouth, a potty mouth, stop it. And let the words that come out of your mouth build up. 
I think about that. Who you once were, stop living that way and start learning how to live this way. That's why it's vital that there's fellowship. That's why you should be in church. You should be in Bible study. You should have a devotional time because you want to feed this newness of life. You want to grow. You want to mature. It's vital. How do I live now? And you say, well, Rob, you preach this all the time but because I, I, wanna, I don't think we're getting it. And not just us, but the church at large. What are we doing? Acting like and looking like the world. Becoming more worldly in hopes to draw them to Christ. That's not drawing them to Christ. That's leading them to hell. You put to death through the power of the Spirit. the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit, look at this, of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, Daddy. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. I'm telling you, that's beautiful, you all. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. God loves us, you all. He loved us, yet though we were in complete rebellion towards him. He doesn't keep a scorecard, if you would, of all your striving, trying to do right and trying to do good. No, when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. And Jesus paid it all. You don't have to strive in and of your own self to do good. But listen, y'all, you do have to put to death through the power of the Holy Spirit, that sinful nature that still lurks within you. Because the more ground you give it, the more that you feast off that. Wow. The less you're becoming Christ-like. And ultimately, if that is what is your purpose, then what do you have but death? Separation from God. But for those who walk according to the Spirit, for those who live a life that is pleasing to God, you don't have to be afraid if you would. You don't have to question, am I saved or am I not saved? Am I damned to hell? Am I, you know, no, you don't have to be afraid because there's an assurance that comes. That you know, that you know, that you know. Not because of your works, because of Jesus's, and because of the Holy Spirit. That you have been engrafted into his kingdom. That you have been given the right to call him daddy. You've been given the right. His spirit will join with your spirit to affirm that you are a child of God. You're a child of God. 
I mean, come on, you all. Does that mean something to us this morning? I mean, when you leave here today, or when you go out and you're amongst the world, like, are you really understanding it? Like, there is a way in which we are to live. Go to John chapter 14. Chapter 14, and it's going to be the whole chapter. Jesus' words. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't, Lord. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? And then Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you know, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am. And yet we've talked about this before, this portion of scripture. <clears throat> have you been around him all this time and yet you still don't know who he is. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And the words of speak are not my own. But my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. You ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And what we're asking is not according to the flesh. As if he is some genie in the sky. No, because we're to be Christ-like. And Jesus himself says, I've come just to do the will of the Father. That's how you should be living. That's how you should be maturing in your faith and growing. Learning to be prayerful about the Father's will. For your life and the life of others. Pray. Jesus himself said, you will do the works as, as I did. And even so greater works. Because I'm there. He goes on. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. 
who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. When I am raised to life again, and you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name said to him, Lord, why are you going to, I'm sorry, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and I will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift of peace, of mind and heart. And the peace I give is, the, is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you, I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really loved me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father, who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen, so that when they do happen, you will believe. I don't have much more to talk to you, because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me, so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. The promise of the Holy Spirit. The understanding that if you love Him, you will obey Him. That the Holy Spirit lives within us. He teaches us. He comforts us. He guides us into truth. Remember, it's a truth that brings about freedom. No longer a slave to sin, but now a slave to righteousness. Seeking his will before our own daily. We move on in chapter 15. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Some branches are gathered into a pile to be burned, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Your life should be producing fruit, righteousness of a right way of living. This is what brings glory to God for his kingdom, for his glory. 
And I think about these poor people who just a week ago today was sitting there worshiping God, being gunned down, being gunned down. I can't even imagine being in that small church building and him shooting from the outside as the bullets are piercing the walls. And then he kicks open the door and begins to just spray them down, walking up and down each of the aisle, up and down the aisle in these, and shooting in the pews. And one witness says all he kept saying was, all of you are going to die. I can't even imagine I mean, these stories that we're hearing, especially those three kids whose mother gave her own life to protect them. That one woman who played dead. Evil went in and slaughtered those people. But I tell you, I was so moved by the pastor when he went to that microphone. And he said at that press conference, just lean into Jesus. Just lean into Jesus. And to think that they're gathering right now, today, to worship God. Beautiful. It brings glory to God to do what is right. Do what is right. Right living, you all. That's why we're walking through the Bible. That's why we're looking at people and we will see people as we keep going through the Bible who, who, who are doing right in their generation. Not by their own strength, but by their zeal and love for God. Not that they were perfect because they were just like us. Flawed human beings. But they chose to be different in their generation. Are you choosing to be different in your generation? Are you choosing to lean into Jesus when life is tearing you apart? When you can't make sense of things happening? This pastor cannot make sense. No one can make sense. You can't make sense of evil. You can't try to understand it. It just destroys. We live in a fallen world. Times are going to get darker. We know that the word of God tells us that it's going to get worse than the days of Noah. It's going to get worse. People are going to become so consumed with self. They're going to be filled with strife and anger and murder and rebellion. It's only going to get worse. And as it's getting worse, it's going to get harder for the church on the earth. Understand this. It is only going to get harder for Christians. Well, that's not a good message, but that is the message. And it's a message of hope. Because the harder that it gets, the closer he's coming. And we're talking worldwide. Persecution, church being attacked left and right, the truths of God's word being trying to be stripped, 
You see all this crazy stuff happening. Things are advancing left and right, and the world is celebrating. The church shouldn't be confused and, and dumbfounded. No, we just recognize it as the hour which we're in. But are we leaning into Jesus? Are we abiding in Christ? Are we living lives that are pleasing the Spirit? Because there's work to be done. There's work to be done. Well, how are you all living when you're out there amongst others? <coughs> because if you're acting just like them, shame on you. You can't be identifying as a Christian and acting like the world. You're to be leaning into Jesus. You're to be abiding into Jesus. What are they going to say? What are they going to think? Why are you consumed with what man thinks of you? We need to be making right choices, right decisions. We need to be leaning into him. We need to be abiding in him. You're to be producing fruit. He goes on, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. That is so beautiful. Like his love for you. He doesn't expect you to clean yourself up and then come to him. Because you'll never clean yourself up. No, he loves you with an everlasting love. He has formed you. He has fashioned you. He has placed you within your mother's womb. He has prepared good works for you to do. But he's not going to force you. In return, you're to love him back. God does not stop loving you. Think of that for a moment. God loves everyone. His desire is that none will perish, but he knows that there will be those who will. He knows the ones who would say no, stiff arm to him. I'm going to keep doing me. I'm going to keep living my life. Even if I, you know, sitting in church, I'm still going to do me, living my life. And so even with those who are engulfed with his wrath for eternity, it's still an expression of his love. Let that sink in for a moment. His judgments reveal his love. He loves you enough that if that's the way you want to go, then have what you want. Because he's revealed himself time and time and time and time and time again to mankind. That's why he is just when he brings his judgment. When those who refuse his love receive what they've wanted all along is to be separated from him. It's what you wanted. So experience it for eternity. And I know we like to make, you know, the, the, the gospel look all so sweet. And that everyone's singing kumbaya and marching into heaven. That's not happening, you all. You will know them by the fruit of their lives. You will know those 
And not just the ones who put on a show <laughs> to look godly, but deny his power. Remember, those are the ones you'd be away from. But true people of God, you'll know them by the fruit of their lives. Not by their perfection, but by their maturing. There is a way in which we're to live, you all. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I can no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything that the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will have, I'm sorry, that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. Love each other. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world will love you as, as, as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all of this to you because of me. For they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did. Yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in, what is written in scriptures. They hated me without cause. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. Notice how he keeps comforting them. Keeps comforting them. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Chapter 16. 1 through 15. I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. He's preparing his disciples. He's preparing us. When all these things come against you, it's going to happen. But don't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from synagogues. And at the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer. But now I'm going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, again, the advocate... The Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. 
And when he comes, listen. This is important that you understand this about the Holy Spirit. What is he to do when he comes? What is his purpose? Here we go. He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is being available, available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. There's a lot of people talking about, oh, they heard from God. The Spirit of God has spoken to them. The Spirit of God is leading me. And yet what they're saying and where they're going does not line up with the truth of God's Word. The Holy Spirit will never testify something that Jesus hasn't already established. So be careful of those that you're listening to. Be careful of those who are quick to say, well, I, the Lord told me this. And yet, what has been told doesn't line up with God's truth. Be careful. He comes to bring conviction. He comes to lead the way of righteousness. To make known of the judgment that's coming. And yet, look at what's happening around the world. This assault against the truth of God's word. In my appointment the other day with this new specialist I went to, he asked me, he's like, oh, what, you know, what line of work are you in? I said, well, I'm in ministry. He asked me, you know, I shared with him how I pastor a house church and I, I serve with crew. And he seems to be a God-fearing man from what I can tell. And he's like, thank you for what you do. You know, the kingdom of God is just being assaulted. Truth is being attacked. Thank you for what you do, for upholding it. I mean, do you realize the responsibility that has been given to us? You don't have to be a pastor, an evangelist. You don't have to have a title. You're a Christian. You're a child of God. You have been entrusted with the kingdom of God to go each and every single day knowing that this world is turning further away from God, that truth is being assaulted, that God is being stripped down and making a mockery of. And yet you're called and you're entrusted with truth and you're to go out and to burn bright in the midst of it and not cave into it. That you don't grow weary in doing good, that you keep planting, that you keep sowing, that you keep watering. God will bring about the harvest, but are you doing the work in which he has called you to do? There's work to be done. People are perishing left and right. People are on edge <coughs> nowadays. 
Everyone's predicting something. But what's to come has already been established. Like he's returning, you all. He's returning. Go to Acts chapter 1. The fulfillment of what Jesus was saying there is captured in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving the, his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends the gift, the, the, the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? You see, they were still looking for a temporal king. They had some insight to Jesus, but they kept looking at it, at it temporal. Like uh, this kingdom on earth. Like you're going to restore us and we're going to be great among the earth. This world is not our home. He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Sumeria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be his witnesses. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. And they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed white men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, and someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. <clears throat> then Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. And all of these Jews from all of these different parts were now hearing. And it says here in verse 11, And they were all 
And we all hear these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things God has done. They finally began to hear in their own language the wonderful things that God has done. Through Jesus, you all. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're all just drunk. That's all. There will always be those in your life that will hinder or try to hinder what God is doing among you. Careful. Careful of those that you are allowing in. And then we see that Peter steps forward and Peter preaches with, with boldness about Christ Jesus. And in that day it says in verse 41 of chapter 2, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. And then we see in verse 42, the birth of the church. The believers begin to form a community. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The Holy Spirit, you all. Living a life empowered by the Holy Spirit so that other people's lives will be impacted, that a community will grow throughout this earth of Christians, caring and sharing for each other, being a witness of what Christ has accomplished. It's how we're to be living. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Just got a couple more and then we're wrapping up. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 16 through 26. It's one we've hear many times. Let's hear it again. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't do, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the, Spirit, and the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But, you are, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not obligation to the law of Moses. So when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. 
sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have had before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. And we see this verse again. A verse I told you time before. Get it out in front of you. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, verse 24, have nailed the passion and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. Not just the parts we want to choose. Every part of our lives. He goes on, chapter 6, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path. And be careful not to fall into into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature will will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please, here we go again, the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. And then verse 14 through 16. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interests in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether you have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. For they are the new people of God. It can't get any plainer to us. May we, as Paul says here, Never boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. Listen, when you live a life as a Christian, you don't have to worry 
about being led astray by others because others are not going to even come to provoke you to go the ways of the world. Because all that you boast in is the cross of Christ. You're living a new way. You're going a different direction. It's not that you're better than them. It's just you're going a different way now. They will not understand it. But be a witness unto them. The world's interest, it shouldn't be interested in, to, in you because you've already crucified your desires and your interests to the cross. Like you've, you're done with the old ways, with the old habits. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. And what principle is that, you all? Where he says, what counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. That's the mark of a believer. That's the mark of a true Christian. One who's been transformed into a new creation. Not someone who's perfect. Not someone, you know, who just holds all the forms and, and, and rules and laws. No, no, no. Just someone whose life has been changed by the power of God. Because they freely submitted to Christ. The last scripture is 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, verse 1 through 6. And then verse 15 through 17 of the same chapter. So chapter 2, verse 1 through 6. My children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. Hmm. But if anyone does sin, we have, and here's that word again, advocate, who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous, he himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandment, that person is a liar and is not living in truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Huh. He's writing this letter so that you will not sin. But if you do, remember your advocate. Remember Jesus. Because again, kind of ties in from our opening. Paul says, I keep doing what I don't want to do. The things I hate, I do. I want to do right, but I seem I can't because sin is working in me. Oh, wretched man that I am, this miserable man that I am, who can help me? Who can help you? And then he answers the question, you all. It is only through Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He gives us the Holy Spirit to convict us, to teach us the ways of righteousness. 
Remember how you live. You either will be a fragrance, a sweet-smelling fragrance to those who are being saved, if you're living a way of Christ, or you will be a stench of death to those who are perishing. But live, you all. Live as one who is in, 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 in obedience, who's obeying Christ, who's abiding in Christ, not striving in your own strength to do good and to be good because you can't. Your goodness only comes through Christ. Like the freedom that comes, the expression of his love, that he calls you out. Remember, he says, I chose you. You didn't choose me. Like, I chose you. Come to me. I love you with an everlasting love. This world is not your home. Like, I'm going away. I'm preparing our place, our home. I'm coming soon. And the church all throughout the generations are being reminded, is being reminded to abide in Christ. I'm writing to you so that you will not sin. But if you do, remember. That's why a believer's life is not to be plagued and defined by sin. No, a believer's life, by this principle, you will know because they're a life that has been transformed. A life that's been transformed. So, closing verse 15 through 17. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving. Listen to this. For physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what God pleases, I'm sorry, but if anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Forever. Wow. Do not love the world, you all. But love God. The world can only satisfy the sinful temporal nature Now, don't get me wrong when I say this. There's nothing wrong with going to theme parks and enjoying yourself with family and friends. But I'm telling you, I spent a lot of time the other day amongst a lot of people in that, those parks. And I'm looking around and I was just like, God, the majority of them here probably don't even know you. just caught up in the wonder of it all. So I would just be praying as I was just walking through that people will be caught up in Christ and the wonder of who he is, of his kingdom. Like this earth is beautiful. I mean, man can create and design beautiful things. But all of this is fading away. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. And the world can only offer these, these desires to, to just to cling to the things of this world, to satisfy temporal desires. But in the end, when we take our last breath, we stand before the eternal God. 
and we're to be like him. I saw all these people dressed up in their favorite characters and all these different things running amok in the crowds. And they took the time to present themselves to look like these stories. And I was like, God, how sad. If the world gets it, that they want to reflect and portray an image of their favorite stories, then God help the church to get it. Because we're, as the Bible says, to be clothing ourselves with righteousness. We're to be reflecting the greatest story of all, this love story. We're to be Christ-like. We're to be an example to the lost. That there is a way, there is a hope, there is life, but it's only through Christ. So I just want to encourage you all this day. Go back through these scriptures. Are we really living a life that's pleasing the Spirit? Do you really grasp the fullness of, of, of what you've been entrusted with? I want you to go this week and I want you to look at those that you have influence with. Rather it's at work, rather it's at friends, rather it's family, rather it's just out amongst the public. And what, ask yourself, what do they see? In you. Do they see Christ? If asked about you, what would they say? They ought to be able to say that they see fruit in your life that's an expression of his kingdom and of who he is. And listen, if you're not living a life unto Christ, if you're still enslaved to sin, then let today be the day that you allow the Holy Spirit to bring you to a place of repentance and say, God, I'm sorry. I want to live for you. I want to know you. And maybe you've prayed that prayer before. Maybe your life has gone. Remember, he says, I write to you that you will not sin. But if you do, remember. Like, get before the Father. Come, come. He doesn't stiff arm you. He's always bidding you to come, come, escape from this decaying, dying world and come to me. And I will give you life and life and abundance. There is a way in which we should be living, you all. And there's only a few of us in this room your life should be impacting many people and in doing so they should see Christ Amen I'm going to close this with this last song and then I'll close this in prayer
Oh 